I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, the Trade Guys are back at it, and we welcome another special guest. Cody Lusk is the president of the American International Automobiles Dealer Association. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Trump administration is slowing down its decision to impose tariffs on auto imports. So what will this mean for the auto industry? Cody joins us in the studio to talk about what he's hearing and what's on the mind of auto dealers across the nation. Gentlemen, start your engines. We're here to talk cars. Again, my favorite subject. Cody Lusk is here. Cody, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, great to be here. Tell us what's going on. I mean, the, the you know today the, the news is that the Trump auto tariff timetable is likely to slip amid uh, Europe and NAFTA talks that are ongoing. Uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross spoke to uh, my buddy Jake Schlesinger at the Wall Street Journal and gave a pretty wide-ranging interview, but we still don't really know what's going on. How does this affect you and the almost 10,000 auto dealers that you represent? Well, I think the the big concern and, and what my guys really want, and we represent the 10,000 international nameplate franchise dealers that are out there. So that's Audi, BMW, uh, Audi, BMW everybody Hyundai. but GM Ford and, and FCA. Right. Uh, but what they want is certainty. And, you know, they deal in, in sort Did of- Did I just dirt. say Audi? It's really <laughs> Audi. 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 I mean, my God, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> Audi. I'm sorry. To Latin go. to here. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Audi. <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. Cody. So, uh, uh, you know, what they want is certainty. And, you know, they kind of deal in 30-day cycles. That's really that's really the life of an auto dealer right. uh, is, is the end of the month and how this is going. And what we're seeing right now is-, is So what's is, the best time to buy a car? Well, any, every day is a good day. We'll get you an, an Audi, an Audi, whatever you want. I mean, we're pe- happy people to do People love cars, but they don't always love car dealerships. I happen to love car dealerships because my wife goes in there and they just don't- They're like, we're going to make some money on somebody else. They just decide that, and so we yeah, always they, get good you know deals. the the world has really turned in that, and uh, I I think that uh, in today's world, my my guys spend most of their time figuring out how to maintain a customer. I mean, they want yeah. you know, they want a customer for life. It's so a service right. business. So it's right. a service business. That's so right. if you're you know if you're beating over the head coming in, I walk right out and go to another place because they're going to treat you a heck of a lot better. Well, so you know, to to, to back that. you up on that, um, my I drive an Audi. And, uh, you know, here in Bethesda and Audi's, of course, headquartered in Northern Virginia, the Audi dealer in Bethesda has made basically a customer of life for me because of the way they treat me. And they and they and we actually now have two. My wife has one also. Right. Well, so good. Well, I appreciate earned, it. They're yeah. in your business. Yeah, that's great. So, so, so you speak the truth. There you go. You're talking to somebody who has no brand loyalty at all, just for the record. Bill, Trade Guy Bill has no brand loyalty. Oh, and by the way listeners trade guy bill is coming to us from an undisclosed location today so we're gonna we have him here with us via phone um and we're happy to hear him weigh in so wait what, no brand loyalty what is that what's, what's that all about no bill? brand loyalty over the years we've owned uh, uh fords uh hondas subarus mitsubishis volvos infinities uh prius uh to, i mean toyota's uh 
We even had an Opel for a while, uh, Volkswagens. That's a lot of cars. Just, a lot. Uh, yeah, he's a great customer, yeah, it sounds well, like. <laughs> we're old. We, we bought a lot of cars. I'm going to get your contact information That's once right. we're done here. Now, <laughs> full disclosure, Bill now drives a Ford Mustang. All right, so he well, does have uh, some, he understands the car as an entertainment right. device. That's right. Classic, That's right. classic car. But so, so, so you represent the foreign nameplate auto dealers, and you're advocating what now? Because, I mean, a recent study showed that on average, new vehicle prices, if, if there is a 25% tariff that's imposed, new vehicle prices would rise by almost $5,000. Um, imported vehicles costs would increase almost $7,000. Even American cars that are U.S. built, with which of course include imported parts, they'd go up almost $3,000. So this is a lot of money that anybody's well, facing. Well, I think the, and the, what the issue is here is, is this is the 232 investigation and the opinion, I think, of the entire auto sector is really a solution in search of a problem. And the that 230 investigation it, it, is the national security right, the component that, of that, that, you know, who knew the most dangerous place on earth possibly was the parking lot at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the reality that, that we're looking at right now. And that's how laughable that this is. Unfortunately, this is a real investigation and with real, real consequences. And what you've seen, unlike steel and aluminum, where you actually had a domestic industry advocating for, for some type of relief and some type of health. No one on the auto side has asked for this. If you look at the testimony, you know, no one said tariffs are a great idea on the auto sector, and that's because this is really a, a global industry today. It's completely integrated. They all share part suppliers from all around the world. Uh, you know, and my guys, my guys just want to sell customers what they want. You want an Audi, whatever model you want, we want to get that to you. If you're putting a 25% tariff on, uh, you're, you're going to see limited choice. You're going to see higher prices. My guys are going to suffer. Everything they do is going to be more expensive. The, the cars they finance are going to be more. The parts they buy, your repairs are going to go up. Your oil change, your part, everything is going to go up. And that's going to have a negative consequence sort of across the board. Well, and you make the point that it'll shrink the market. Oh, two, but also two million units. There's yeah. a safety dimension of this. It'll shrink it by two million units? Two is million that, units. Is that what you yes. estimate? Yes. yes. But people who can't afford a new car will hold on to their car longer, which right. has consequences for public safety. Right. right. They've got to be part of the calculation And, and you've here. also seen right now uh, used car prices, guess what? Are going well, up, up. Yeah. Sure. under this, and so, and we've also we've seen you know twenty five percent is a big number. You see that we have you know we always fail to mention we have a two and a half percent car tariff, but we also have a twenty five percent tariff on imported trucks and vans, and so that's why nobody imports any of those. You uh, don't see those. <laughs> right. You know, That's I've right. got a lot of my members who want to sell pickup trucks. Uh, Volkswagen would love to have a pickup truck right. to sell. Hyundai would love to have a pickup truck to sell. I but think they don't Bill's phone's ringing uh, from, from far away. No, t tell us about that. I mean, most people don't even know Volkswagen makes a truck. A pickup truck, right? Well, they don't. They don't yet, but they're hoping to. But there are other places they could get, uh, or other places, uh, you know, they could import from that 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 do make trucks, and they would like could make. They could conceivably, you know, the the world is filled with uh, small, unique pickup trucks in other places. Mazda builds a truck in Thailand. They would love to to import that, but a punitive twenty five percent tariff has prevented that, and that is a sort of the the dirty little secret when we start talking about auto tariffs. We're always focused on the EU's ten percent tariff. Well, Japan doesn't have any, you know, auto tariffs. Uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, FTA with uh, the, the chorus, that eliminated that. So if we want to talk auto tariffs, we have our own little sort of uh, uh, shady side. 
Well, the, also, this is a lesson in the persistence of tariffs once you raise them, because right. that 25% tariff on trucks is commonly known as the chicken tax. It goes back to the Lyndon Johnson administration and a dispute between Germany and the United States over imported chicken. Right. I was going to yeah. say, why chicken tax? Well, because I think we, you mentioned this before in a previous podcast. We wanted to export podcast. chicken to Germany. The Germans found lots of outrageous reasons to reject those chickens, uh, uh, despite you know, their their safety for consumption, uh, and the, the dispute escalated. And because in the 1960s, Volkswagen had a very successful van, which we all remember is the hippie van, that sure. came in a pickup truck configuration. And to try to get the attention of the disputing parties, uh, the U.S. raised tariffs to 25% on light trucks. It's Temporarily never, raised temporarily, that Temporarily, yes. <laughs> and as Ronald Reagan once said, there's nothing as permanent as a temporary government program. That tariff is yeah. still on the books. Yeah. We've never reduced it. In fact, when we renegotiated the Korea agreement just a few months back, we extended the terms of that tariff. It's a have even longer phase out. There's still a chicken tax. Still a, just, still a chicken tax. Still a 25% tariff. After all these years. Not a lot of Popeyes in Germany, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, you guys got a break today, I think, if you saw the uh, Secretary Ross's interview in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. We did. The, the study won't be done uh, yeah. this month and maybe not done before the election, which I think, one, is a sign that they're having trouble making the case. Uh, and But it also suggests that uh, we may not see any action on this before the election, which surprises me a little bit because it sounded earlier like the president was really hot to to impose the tariffs as a political move before the election. Why is he doing this now, Bill? What do you, why do you think? Well, I think partly it, it's, it's substance driven and it's the same thing that happened with steel. You know, they, they start this investigation and say, oh, this is easy. We'll have a quick we'll have a quick solution. Then they discover that it's not easy. They sent a very complicated questionnaire out to the manufacturers who have all protested about the, the, the amount of detail that's being uh, requested. And of course, having done that, they have to read them all. And yeah. they have to <laughs> read and analyze all these questions. And it finally dawned on the secretary uh, at, at Commerce that they're not going to get the work done. Uh, in time. Ross even told the journal, he said, quote, we just received elaborate questionnaires from the car companies with zillions of pages, <laughs> and that won't be ready in five minutes. We're running out of August. I mean, he didn't know there was going to be zillions of pages? No, he didn't, because they look at the world as if it were still the 1980s, and what is made here is sold someplace else, and that there aren't global supply chains. Okay, the administration is blissfully unaware of how the world economy actually works, how things are actually made, and what they're discovering is that every car company, whether U.S. nameplate or foreign nameplate, is a global business. They look at the world as a global entity. They produce on global platforms. They all have regional production schemes, and it's very, very complicated. The suppliers have the same, if not to a greater degree, of complexity in their systems. And when you start to pull it apart with with sort of blunt force tariffs, you create a complete mess. And the suppliers are already starting to feel the effect, and many of them are, are really suffering as a result of the steel and aluminum tariffs that have right. already been on. And, and the industry is suffering, and you've seen price increases go up uh, across the board on a lot of the products already as a result of that. And also, those same Commerce Department people are the ones having to deal with the exclusion requests from steel and aluminum uh, while also simultaneously trying to do all this work. And so I agree, Scott. It, this is, it's, I think it's a heck of a lot more complicated than they thought. And the, the unified, I think the unified opposition 
uh, was a lot more, uh, a lot bigger than they anticipated. Well, the, you you can say that again. I mean, 47 uh, individuals and firms testified. 46 of the 47 opposed it outright, and the 47th, which was the labor movement's testimony, were were were, were hedged. They basically said, <laughs> "Well, a little bit of selective tariffs would be okay, but don't do the whole thing." Okay, so what does that do? I mean, if if that many people are coming out against it, you're talking about you know the jobs that could be lost from this are almost catastrophic. And we're talking about half a million jobs or more? Yeah, yes. At at least you're talking about right off the bat $200,000. You're talking about with retaliatory tariffs and jobs. And you're talking over 600,000 jobs in total that could be in jeopardy. Because there are 200,000 jobs right away if we impose tariffs, but then it could triple if they retaliate, right? Correct. So you're talking about 600,000 jobs. That's nothing to sneeze at. And meanwhile, as Scott said, they're blissfully unaware I mean, are they blissfully well, unaware of that? If they read the questionnaires, they won't be. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, zillions of pages. But that, but that, I don't know but that if goes. To, that goes to the other part of this. That I think there is an element of of the Trump world, and, and there's a, quite honestly an element of Congress that says this is the art of the deal. You might not like it, okay. you might not think it's pretty, but this is how the president negotiates, and he's negotiating deals. Well, I think you're starting to see the pushback from Congress to say, hey, we've been with you, but we really need to see some deals, and we haven't seen the deals. And so I think maybe Ross's comments, you know, today we're saying, hey, we've got this Maybe this really isn't about national security. It's about uh, uh, getting some uh, some headway on the with with the EU on NAFTA, uh, even uh, with the J- Japanese that have been coming to town. So there's there's a lot of uh, of trade uh, balls in the air, so to speak, and we don't know. You know, all we know is that I don't think this tariff threat is going away anytime soon. Well, Bill, do we see any evidence of? Uh President Trump and his administration making any headway with uh, the European Commission uh, since Jean-Claude Juncker was just here and they whispered to each other that there was some <laughs> kind of deal. But is there really a deal? Uh, what's going on? Well, like with everything else, you know, he gets an incomplete. The Europeans are back uh, this week to talk about that. Scott but the does not like incompletes. Be, uh, <laughs> well, it's better than an F, I suppose. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, the Europeans are back this week to talk about what are we going to talk about. And the discussion is going to be what might we be able to reach an agreement on and what can we not reach an agreement on. And if, you know, they did have that nice, happy session when Juncker was here in, in July. And the next day, they immediately disagreed over content. Uh, the Europeans said agriculture is off the table, and the Americans said it ought to be on the table. So the Europeans are here this week and they're trying to hammer something out where it, it'll, what would be the result of, of their negotiations? They're supposed to be spending 120 days, soft deadline, but supposed to be spending 120 days outlining the parameters of what an agreement would look like. That then that would then produce two things. One, the EU, uh, because of their rules, would have to go back to Brussels and get a mandate to have a negotiation on the terms that they had just spent 120 days discussing. Uh, and the United States would need to notify the Congress that it intends to enter into that negotiation, you know, subject to our trade promotion authority rules. So that's all a little bit in the future. Uh, I think what they are mostly going to do is uh, keep taking things off the table until they have a set of things that they think that they can negotiate and agree on. I mean, keep in mind, we've been talking to the Europeans about this stuff for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, none, of these issue, none of these issues are new. And we haven't had a lot of success because they're hard 
they're hard, intractable issues, a lot of politics on both sides. That's to be expected. But uh, I think what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, agriculture is too hard. Government procurement is too hard. Uh, some of these IP issues uh, may be too hard. Let's make a list of the things that we think we can agree on. And, you know, the more stuff you throw over the side, uh, the smaller the agreement gets, but the easier it gets. But I, and I think they end up with something to talk about, no question, and a negotiation. Uh, for Cody's purposes, the interesting thing about this, uh, as you know, is that the president said, I'm not going to do car tariffs with them while we're talking, which, among other things, right. suggests this is going to be a really long talk. Right. Okay, okay, so what does that mean for you and your, your well, guys? Well, you know, you're only as good as the next tweet, but right. uh, yeah, I think that's a good positive. That, but we sort of viewed that from a positive light. We met with the EU before they they sat down with um, uh, the president, and, you know, we informed them that I don't, don't be, I wouldn't expect him to take, you know, tariffs off the ta- auto tariffs off the table. He likes throwing that out there. He likes having that anvil over the head. That being said, we did view that it, whatever they agreed to, they at least portrayed it in a positive light. And the president tweeted positively about that. And we take yeah. any positive tweet about trade. They're very few, uh, but at least they agreed to keep talking. And I think Bill is right. It's, you know, we there was a lot of what does this mean about the 232 and where does it put the 232 and and Ross made the comment that well we're not going to do anything as long as we're as long as these talks are progressing so we're happy to see that the talks are progressing now that could change you know that could change by Friday in this administration's world but that's where we are so your members they're both urban and rural I right. think you you have members all over the country right. pretty much every district of every member of Congress is that's that right? correct right. so is there a difference in the way some of the dealers are perceiving this and others. You, you mentioned some of them think, well, this is the president's a negotiation strategy. He's a good negotiator. He's going to get us the best deal. Do they all feel that way? I, Do I think you- on the whole, most most auto dealers would, would are, are businessmen and say, hey, this is, you know, sausage making isn't pretty. Uh, the president is a business guy. Uh, you know, don't pay attention to every little tweet that he sends out. He's just trying to, you know, bluster and get the best deal. Now, again, these are people that are out there, you know, selling cars, trying to make a living, you know, throughout throughout the country. They're not tuned in to every, you know, nuance of trade policy that's going on. That's right. our job. But I will say we're we're probably far more alarmed about this than our average member is because you know, we're paid to be alarmed. I mean, this is sure. what we do. We're the early warning system. But I think a lot of it falls into where you are politically. Did you support the president? Then you think that, hey, I'll give him I'll give him a little line on this. And that's where I think sort of Congress is to some degree. And if you were opposed to him, you hate everything that he's doing as it relates to trade. Does he view trade as a weapon, Scott? Is it an instrument for, for foreign policy or a weapon? Certainly. I think he his view is, and this is, this is at least one interpretation. I think it's the Larry Kudlow interpretation most recently, is, ter- is terrible. Tariff threats and tariff actions are an instrument. They're they're used as an instrument to to get a better deal. And you'll note, I mean, Bill picked a great week to be out of town because the Winder Building is a busy place this week. <laughs> we have we have delegations from Europe, Japan, uh, Mexico, and China in Washington this week. Yeah. So he is getting people's attention. Uh, the the key is there, there there not many things that have actually been resolved in a way that kind of makes for where you can make sense out of the policy. And so I think probably it would be appropriate to tie up some loose ends, but he shows no inclination to do that. So we're going to have to ride this out. Cody, you're paid to be alarmed for your members. 
I, when I think of your members, I think of Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> Buddy Garrity was the dealer in the town where you know everybody looked up to him because you know he was the guy who the big booster of the team. Is is Buddy Garrity worried? Are the people on the ground worried? Are they are they I think starting not, to feel I think, this? I think not at this time. I think, but you're talking about a combination of things. They're going to start getting worried from the standpoint of July wasn't a great month. Yeah. So what does right. that mean? Are interest rates starting to trickle up? Okay, yeah, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Are sales starting to slow? Well, why is that? And so you start all these sort of random clouds in different areas create one big cloud yeah. that I think is, you know, darkens everything and that's when they really start paying attention. And I think uh, that's the that's the dynamic that you're you're going to see is hey are my profits going down or or are the manufacturers uh, tightening the margins where I'm making less per vehicle sold and you know that that's those are the alarm bells that start going off and I think you're starting to see that uh, from just just the standpoint of we've been on a riding a pretty good since 08 you know that we've been trending in a pretty good 17 million unit market's pretty big yeah. and pretty good uh, however when you start leveling off or maybe going a little bit down, then then it, it, it sends off some alarm bells. When you talk to the administration about your concerns, what do they tell you? <laughs> well, the, we're running out of people to talk to that really want to understand this side of the industry. And I think that's, is that the, right? that's the reality. I mean, well, I mean, because the 232 is, is the commerce, it's in the commerce arena and everything else is NAFTA, it's really hard. I mean, no question, we've lost some some people uh, that were much more receptive to, to having an open-minded discussion about the benefits of trade policy. And some of those, you know, you had you had Everett leaving and Gary and these type of people that have headed out. And and, you know, you have another guy, you know, and like Navarro, who who thinks that uh, it is the 1980s and that really the, the international automakers aren't building cars in America. It's just, a you know, a turnkey and a screw, you know, screwdriver operation. And, you know, my guys take great pride in the fact that their manufacturers build or they sell a about, build about half the vehicles that they sell in the U.S. and that's that's a symbol of great pride for them. Sure. And um, and we used to, we used to when I first was in this industry 20 years ago we had a poster of what is an American car and it highlighted the Accord made in Ohio and the Camry was in Kentucky. Well now you'd fill, you'd fill a whole billboard with all of those vehicles. You you can't put it on a poster anymore and that's right. that's that's a good thing. And I think what we're trying to highlight and and you've seen that highlighted. Um, a lot of the ad campaigns that manufacturers have, and Mercedes in Alabama, and BMW, uh, BMW and in South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great for what has happened. And again, I, I just you know, Kia was talking about their plant in West Point, Georgia. That was a failed, uh, you know, a dying uh, former textile town. And then right. Kia came in there, and I went there yeah. when they opened that plant, and it was the governor was there. Talk about Friday Night Lights. Oh, they yeah. had the high school band playing. I mean, yeah. the whole town was energized, right. and they love what that's done. And well, and that's a great story. We've tried to frame this from the standpoint, even going back to the early, we, we were going to, you know, get get out of NAFTA because it was so terrible. And we were kind of you know, trying to frame this in the pre- for the president to say, actually, on autos, it's been a win. Claim credit 
President Trump. Right. Look at what the auto sector has done. Declare victory Look, while you Declare can. victory. This has been great, and it's yeah. still going like this. And, and, and in some instances, he has. He, you know, he mentioned in the State of the Union uh, the, the Toyota-Mazda joint venture, that they've got a new plant coming online. I don't remember a president mentioning an international nameplate plant in any State of the Union before. Right. So he does recognize some of that, but we want him to understand what this means to the entire U.S. economy. Sure. It is globally integrated, and it has been great for America, and it's been a win for American consumers. Well, because one thing we didn't even talk about yet is, in addition to those cars being assembled in America, the parts, the parts industry. I mean, in 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 Spartanburg, South Carolina, where BMW is, and it's BMW's largest plant in the entire world, there's another 200 companies that have moved to South Carolina to support right, and right. be around. And these are companies that have moved from other countries to the United States and give uh, Americans right. jobs. Right. And also that's the biggest the, the biggest exporting plant in the US that's is right. that plant. So and that's being hit now by our tariffs on China. Right. So this is, you know, you talk about, you know, the boomerang coming around and and you're our guys uh, and our, our manufacturers are really the ones that are using the U.S. as an export platform, yes. much more so than the Detroit guys, because that's really not in their DNA. They used to, to build, they never really exported to Europe. That's why this whole EU car tariff was sort of, came out of nowhere and you really heard no objections. The, the, the Ford and GM have had, had plants in Europe since, you know, before World War II. Sure. <laughs> that was part of their, their strategy. You not know, really you know where BMW export. exports a lot of BMWs? Bethesda, Maryland. That's where they export a lot of BMWs. You see more BMWs per capita in Bethesda, Maryland than I bet anywhere in the entire world. But, But Henry Ford was making Model Ts in the United Kingdom in 1920. So these have been global companies for a long time. Cody, let me ask you a question. Let's assume the tariffs go into effect, okay? 25% tariffs on all imported cars, just hypothetically at some point. What do you think the companies like BMW and Mercedes and the Japanese companies are going to do when that happens? Well, I think inevitably, you know, it depends on on how their suppliers, you know, you're talking about all the parts that go into that are getting hit, or a lot of those with the 25% tariff. I mean, it's every vehicle in the U.S. is going to get hit to some degree with this because there's nothing that is 100% U.S. with 100% U.S. parts. So everything is going to go up price-wise. Now, again, I think that's a question of do they do some – it depends on the financial situation of a lot of these manufacturers. Do they do – they, eat some of that tariff? Do they pass it on? Inevitably, what we see when this happens is, you know, my guys are going to have to pay more for the car they're buying from BMW. So, and that inevitably is going to get passed on to the consumer or not. The consumer, you know, your average car right now is about $35,000 average. So you're starting to see uh, the price point for, you know, what, what Americans are paying when they finance a vehicle, your monthly payment is pretty high up there. And that was the issue we were having with the steel and aluminum tariffs. You add 10 to 15 bucks a month, I mean, it's real money for, for consumers trying to make a car payment. That's the great unknown, but we know that the negative consequences are, are going to be are huge, and it's going to be a real drag, not just on our sector, but the whole U.S. economy. It seems to me the the underlying administration uh, desire here is to get companies to uh, alter their tr- supply chains to bring more production back on shore. It's a return to the 50s, basically. You know, and it, it's a return to what Scott said. Let's make it all here. Right. 
And then if we ship it overseas, that's fine, but let's make it here. So what he really wants to do is force companies to change their supply chains. But it seems to me that in this kind of situation, it, if you're BMW, it's probably easier just to move your production offshore and export from there than it is to try to uh, you know, reconfigure everything you're doing here. Well, you also have to figure out where does NAFTA fit into this whole thing. Most of the imports uh, that come into the U.S. are from the NAFTA countries. And, you know, for, for sake of the auto sector, uh, really the Detroit guys, Canada has been the 51st state for yes, forever. Absolutely. And so, you know, Mexico is an export platform for all of these manufacturers. Guess why? Because they have so many FTAs. Uh, and so, you know, it's much easier if you're, uh, you know, Audi's got a plant over there. Now they import some of those here, but they also export those around the globe and depending upon the model. So that's a, you know, what it, it all, you know, this all fits together and it's all worked together very, very, you know, these guys all share suppliers. They all work hard. And, and that's what the problem. And I know that the manufacturers have tried to get through to uh, the administration. It's not like I can say, okay, I can't have Andrew be my supplier because he imports stuff. I'm immediately going to go to Scott and get my seats from him. That's not how it works. And it's much more complicated than that. The, the quality and, and the, the level that they go through to get these parts and to get them okay, to get them to build is, is very, very uh, a lengthy process. Well, the administration is longing for an obsolete business model. Right. And, and the, the, the model is obsolete for a reason. And they haven't figured that out yet. But, <laughs> but, but look, Cody, you, you are a longtime veteran of Capitol Hill. And two things. One, you have a unified industry opposed to something. But as you will recall, it's hard to oppose something if you have nothing. Right. You can't beat something with nothing. So what's the something from the auto industry? What, what, what is it that, that you want to do and can, and can well, use your, well, your think, influence you know, to? I think what we've to, always said is, is, you know, look, if we've got a problem, I mean, this, is, this goes back to, you know, uh, to TTIP, uh, <laughs> goes back to, you know, uh, some of the other agreements, you know, the, the, the TPP. If we've got issues, we solve these through negotiation. Right. I mean, if we have a problem, you know, with the EU's car tariff, then, you know, I think Volkswagen, and they've already made the proclamation, you know, the the, the German automaker said, yeah, let's let's reduce the car, t- let's reduce that if that's going to be a problem, yeah. but you negotiate this stuff out. That's the reason we have USDR, who, you know, they do good right. work. They're the most overworked agency, I would right. say, uh, you know, pound for pound in the in the in the, you know our government. But that's how you do it. Well, it used to be that's the way we <laughs> approach things. If tariffs were a problem, they'd be developed into the list, and the next negotiation, whether through the GATT or or bilateral, you'd take up that issue. And it's not clear to me that anybody's really ever asked for lower auto tariffs. Well, no, and I think, but the and the issue is, you know, the EU, you know, bless their heart, but that's not the auto market that everybody's concerned. No, about. not at all. You know, it's it's the U.S. is is you know a, a huge auto sector, which and what makes us unique is our love for trucks. Yes, sure. I mean that's the unique dynamic about the American auto uh, economy is you know we're seventy percent truck versus thirty percent cars, and the Detroit guys want to make nothing but trucks because that's where the profits are, and I can't blame them for that. But they've left the car market, right? So the rest of the country is not really truck markets. So that's just the reality of the situation. The other market that is you know the other big real big market is China. So if we want to get into China, we I think. You know, everybody on Capitol Hill has universally agreed that China is a problem. 
So let's focus our efforts on China. Let's negotiate some of this stuff out. But that's the that's the reality. You get yes. to yeah. Let, let's let's work through these. Right. <laughs> but if you want to negotiate things, let's negotiate them. Stop picking but, but fights again, with our friends. Yeah, right. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> and focus on what's really important. Well, and President Trump's starting to get some heat from people in the Republican Party over this. Is that right? I think Congress is wanting to see some results. In other yeah. words, we've we've. It's okay to you say you're using the, the stick instead of the carrot, but inevitably you have to get something out of using the stick. And so I think they were they were quick to praise the EU, you know, handshake, uh, you know, let's agree to keep talking deal, just because it was something positive to grasp onto. And I think that's what you're seeing is. Congress is, you know, you're, the ag guys, you know, if you're, th- those are the ones that are really starting to feel the heat, the, the, Big the aluminum and the, uh, the steel producers and the, um, and the ag guys who are suffering the retaliatory aspects of this. And that's going to, you know, increase even more. And I think that's where the heat gets turned up. You know, Congress is not just saying, hey, we, Mr. President, we understand you're trying, to, what you say is right or what you're saying, but let's have some fruits of the labor. Yeah. I mean, you keep seeing, though, that and you guys said during this podcast, you know, they want to go back to the 50s. They want to go back to the 80s. What's that all about if it doesn't work? What they haven't encountered is the fact that if you want to be have a 1950s uh, workplace organization, an industrial organization, you get 1950s living standards. All right, and, and nobody wants those nobody, wants nobody that. was really living that well that's in the exactly, 1950s. That's exactly right. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe June and Beaver Cleaver were living okay, but I want to live a little nice, bit better But that, that was a 19-inch yeah. black and white TV yeah, yeah, set. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's not a big flat yeah. screen. Right, it's in a one-car garage. In a one-car garage. And it's not, you know, you buy your kid an SUV when they get when they graduate from college. And it's not, it's none of that. Right. Well, I think that was what, in a, and I think you saw Navarro's comments of, yeah, they they want us to focus on this, finance, you know, our, our services sector when we need those great, you know, jobs in the furnace. And, you know, we're kind of like, well, wait a minute. Well, we really don't want these good jobs, you know, in the furnace. I don't know. We make a lot <laughs> more stuff than we ever <laughs> we, did. We like, you know, and, and we, it, we made it, make it with fewer people because I, we're a high-tech economy. And I think that's the, the nail on the head is automation has been responsible for, and progress has been responsible for a lot of those jobs mm-hmm. that have gone away and a lot of those industries mm-hmm. that now they're trying to, in their minds, rescue or return to the glory days. But to, to be to fair to Scott's point, they have made it clear that, and I think the president does believe, they want as much, if not everything, sold in the U.S. to be built in the U.S. That's the dream. Now, that is, can't be reality. But, but nobody, <laughs> nobody in, in who has actually operates a business actually shares that dream. And that's the disconnect that we have yet to really see come to the fore. Bill, do you have anything to add to this? Because I'm just I'm mystified here. I mean, I, 1950s kind of sucked, you know. I, I, I mean, I mean, like this this is not good. I mean, you can't for, forget about whether you support. You're too the, young to even remember the 50s, Andrew. I, I, I mean, am, but I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> right. He's more of the Brady. Some boy. of us grew up in the 50s. Right. You it was a halcyon time. You got it. It was a halcyon time. You know, leave it to Beaver. Father knows best. Yeah, you sure. Personal favorite, having the being the father of children. My three sons. I've got three sons. Yeah, indeed. Well, that was more '60s, but uh, but Scott's right. You know, you can't. Uh, it's a variation of what Thomas Thomas Wolfe wrote. You can't go home again. We can't go back to that, and the consequences of doing it are are significant. And I guess what what frustrates me about this whole thing it begins with what where Cody began, really, which is this is a solution in search of a problem. You know, nobody wants to do this. Nobody except, you know, the president and Peter Navarro. And everybody else thinks it's crazy. 
yet it per- keeps going. You know, mm-hmm. it just rolls along. And the difficulty is that there's collateral damage. You know, the things that Cody's talking about are happening. And other people are suffering. Jobs are going to disappear. And, you know, so a year from now, if he goes forward with all this stuff, there's going to be all this damage and people are going to, are going to say, oh, well, that was a mistake. Uh, but at, the, at that point, it's going to be a little bit too late. I guess what frustrates me is, in a way, what Cody said, why aren't, why aren't his guys more upset about this uh, than they are? Right. You know, my guys, as, as uh, it was mentioned earlier by Andrew, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the August recess. We have a, a program where you call our, our Congressional Dealer Visit Program, where we bring members of Congress out to sort of touch and feel uh, what's going on in, you know, an auto sector so they can see that, you know, cars are complicated, they're computers, they're, these are, the technicians are really good jobs that we have a shortage of, you know, mm-hmm. these kind of things. But when they talk to the member and say, hey, God, I'm really concerned about it, and the member says, Hey, don't worry. It's gonna, you know, this is just the president doing his thing. You know, that's what we're getting out of Congress. And yeah. so my, you know, so if I'm, you know, back in Peoria, Illinois, you know, talking to my congressman and he's telling me, hey, this is just be patient. Just the, the, the president's doing deals. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 because that's an easy thing for me to go. Okay, I can rest easy as opposed to worry. Now I do think that there is a deep-seated worry about. Hey, we're starting to see some some storm clouds. We're starting to struggle. What happens if this does hit? And this would be catastrophic. So I think there is an element, and we're certainly educating our members on a daily basis about what's going on on this, how how devastating this could be. There's plenty of studies that are out there. The industry again is unified uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, really across the board from from every every segment of the auto sector. Uh, and, and to say this is, you know, we're opposed to this. So. Well, I hope all 10,000 of your members listen to this. And, you know, I'm sure that their patience actually has a limit at some point. Yeah. Do you, do you think the storm is going to break before the election or it's going to take longer than that? Well, I, I think, you know, we've heard varying. I think all of us thought the way that that's, you know, we're following the steel and aluminum roadmap, you know, so and, and, and what, what the president has said is wanted. And, and I'd always use the analogy of, hey, the president wants this arrow in his quiver. And so Ross's job is to give the president this arrow. What the president does with it, does he, does he wave it around? Does he put it in the boat? Is he aiming at people? You know, that, or does he actually shoot anybody? We don't know. But we thought he was going to get that sooner rather than later. We do know that there has been pushback on, from Capitol Hill at, at pretty high levels saying, uh, maybe, Mr. President, this is not the best thing to do prior to the election from a Republican yeah. House standpoint. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's not, you know, you might be right, but let's not just let's not throw this thing in there that we, we're dealing with enough on our plate right now. And, th- and that's sort of, you know, I think where we are, I, you know, I again, I don't know that you're ever going to change this president's mind, but you know maybe there's other things that are occupying his attention uh, that, that, that can get him off of that. And mm-hmm. I think there is a real world, as you highlighted, there is a real world workable issue in that from the standpoint of manpower in the Department of Commerce on, on getting a real conclusion that they then, you know, that, and also don't forget about, you know, the Department of Defense has to sign off on this, you sure, know, and it's I, a national security <laughs> issue. And they could, you know, do what they did on steel <laughs> and aluminum. But I think this is much harder when the entire domestic auto industry says we disagree. This is a terrible idea. Well, when he pulls his arrow out, I hope he doesn't shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to get shot.
To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.